All right, so question. How many of you have had a spiritual discussion with somebody in the last month? Whoa, Jenna's hand shot right up there. It must have been today she had that no, spiritual discussion. Oh, okay, but recently. So how did, uh, how did it feel when you had a spiritual discussion? Did you feel uh, completely confident, totally in control, knowing all the answers? Always? Okay, good. So Steve, I'm going to give you this, and you're going <laughs> to... <laughs> How does it generally feel when we, we get into spiritual discussions with people? Awkward, okay. Depends on, who it is. Depends on who it is, true, very true. Context, yeah. Awkward. Any other words that come to mind? Uh, you mean a spiritual discussion with someone who doesn't believe the same thing you do? Yeah, a spiritual discussion with someone who doesn't believe the same things you do. So a, a non-Christian, I guess that would be helpful to have that context as well, yes. Hopefully uh, some of our discussions here are between believers. I'm sure they could be awkward at times, but hopefully that isn't the case too much. But yeah, non-believers, when we're talking about Jesus, what does it usually feel like? What was that? Sometimes frustrating, right, because they're speaking some truth and maybe they're not receiving it or maybe they're not understanding it. Yep. Fear of the negative response, absolutely. Yeah, especially this day and age, right? We kind of don't know if somebody's really going to have more of a, uh, a violent re- response, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you have that once, you're kind of like gun-shy about that from happening again. So how do we grow out of these things? Or how do we, any, any idea on how we overcome these? How do we make these interactions a little bit more... Not awkward, not scary. Know the word more, okay? I think the more you have them, the more thankful you are. Yeah. Um, and a lot quieter. It's, I mean, if it's planned ahead of time, it's a lot easier. Yeah, absolutely. You guys just took like my two summary points right off the bat. You guys are already getting an A, and you didn't even look. <laughs> really, how we grow is two ways. We we grow in the knowledge of God's Word, and thus key topics that we need to engage with, but then also experience, right? It's one of those things where if you never do it, and then you have a spiritual conversation with a non-believer, it's going to be weird and awkward and scary, right? The more you do it, it's going to be less weird and awkward and scary. Bad news, it's never going to be completely not awkward, scary, and weird. I think I was at a conference once, and I heard John Piper when he landed, and he was just telling us that he just got off a plane and he was sharing the gospel with somebody and he was telling us how badly he blew it and how nervous he was while he was sharing the gospel. And I was like, wow, that makes me feel a lot better. <laughs> like I like John. So you never really completely, you know, feel like I'm nailing this. And I don't think we should, right? Because that's not the way that it works. But So we grow in knowledge of key topics. And really when we talk about key topics, we talk about key apologetics topics and then experience. So let's take a little bit of a look at what is apologetics. And I got some slides here from my man Mikey up there. We had lots of great definitions from the survey. Thank you. Some samples from definitions from the survey, helping people get a clearer understanding, uh, articulating the truths of God's Word, explaining the faith with confidence, I liked. And one of these, I didn't really understand how it related, but the answer was Nephilim. I, I didn't, I couldn't, I didn't understand. 
Oh. Let's look at some scriptural examples of the word. The word in the Greek is apologia. And if we see, uh, we look at like Acts 22.1 and Acts 25.16, just touching on those very briefly. This is when Paul was being kind of bounced around from uh, trial to trial, from person to person, because he had stirred up so much trouble and he was making a defense for himself. And in uh, Acts 22.1, he says, brothers and fathers, hear the defense, the apologia, now that I make before you. And then in 25.16, he says, I answered them uh, to the Romans not to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had opportunity to make his apologia, his defense. In Philippians 1.7, he kind of narrows it a little bit to talk about defense of the gospel. In Philippians 1.7, He says, it is right for me to feel this way about you because it holds you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. And if we jump down a little further in verse 16 of chapter 1 of Philippians, he says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love knowing that I am put here. Where is he? In Philippians, where is he put? Prison. He's put in prison for what? The defense of the gospel. He's put in prison for the apologia of the gospel. And you're going, wait a minute, apologetics can get me landed in prison? Well, maybe, but Paul was definitely in prison for his defense of the gospel. So one word kind of rings true that we've heard a couple times. What's that one word? Defense. Defense, right? If you guys are sports people, right? I was not. Most of the survey answers had that word in it. Defending the faith, how to defend the gospel, how to defend this. So when you think about apologetics, think about defense. We're going to be Sunday in one, word, one verse in First Peter 3, 15, which is sometimes called the Apologetic Great Commission. I'll pick it up from 14. First uh, Peter 3, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with violence and rudeness. Oh, no, wait, sorry. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So Peter's telling them it's a defense for the reason for the hope that you have within you. And that hope, of course, is in Jesus Christ because of the gospel. So if we had to narrow down what apologetics is, succinctly, we could say it's a defense of the faith. It's a defense of the faith or a defense of the gospel. So we are defending the gospel. Defending why you have the hope you have. Knowing what you believe and why and being able to talk about it, right? practically, of course, we're in the church, right? So we want to equip the church to confidently spread the gospel to make it mature disciples of Jesus Christ. So inferred in in 1 Peter 3, he says, you have the hope in Jesus Christ. It's kind of inferred that it's a hope in Jesus Christ as opposed to a hope in anything else. A hope in anything else. The anything else means any other competing worldview, any other competing faith, any other competing ideas. 
But when we talk about the goal of apologetics, there are two goals in apologetics. One is evangelism, which we talked about a second ago. Matthew 28, the real Great Commission. Jesus says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So one of the goals of apologetics is not to win an argument, it is evangelism. It is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ in line with the Great Commission. In other words, making disciples. But another goal we could say is to equip the church. It's not only for non-believers, it also is for the church. In Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Watch this, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So we have evangelism, making disciples. We have equipping, maturing disciples. When we talk about apologetics, this is ground zero for what we do at Highlands Bible Church. It's making and maturing disciples. But I used a word a second ago called a worldview. I, I like that word a lot. I use that word a lot. We talk about a worldview. What is a worldview? And I have an answer right there. I'm trying, not to, I'm trying to remember that I have the answers on the slides because you guys cheat. I remember that. A worldview is a, a way of processing the world that shapes how we live in it. That last part is important because we can all kind of process things, but then it actually shapes how we live in the world around us. Does everyone have a worldview? Wow, a lot of confident yeses. What if they say, no, I don't have a worldview? <laughs> That's their worldview, right? Somebody said something else? Yeah. Right, right, right. And, and it's always interesting to me how little thought out sometimes that worldview is. I call it sometimes like a worldview buffet kind of thing. They'll, they'll, they'll go right down the line and pick a little from this and a little from that and the things they like in the Bible and the things they like in secular humanism and the things they like from whatever, Buddhism or just being a good person. Yeah, Confucius, right? Benjamin yep. <laughs> Benjamin Franklin, cleanliness next to godliness, you know. Yeah, so everybody does have a worldview, whether they know it or not and whether it's consistent or not whether it is kind of that worldview buffet smorgasbord, right? Tim Keller calls it a narrative identity. In other words, what's, what's the story? What are we making? What's this kind of making sense of the world around us? In that worldview, we process the good, the bad, and the ugly. What are some events that cause us to come face-to-face -face with our worldview and process things? Death. Well, hopefully not yours, because you'd be done processing, right? But yes. 
someone else's, yeah, losing a, a friend or a loved one, death, absolutely. What else causes us to come, forces us to process sickness? sickness? Yep, serious illness, sickness, cancer and stuff like that, definitely. Why did I get sick? Why did this happen to me? Am I going to get better? Where's God and all this? Yep. What else? Any confrontation. Okay. Why did that person act like that? How am I supposed to react? Can I punch them in the nose and still be a Christian? Yeah, stuff like that. Why does this happen to me? Yep, anything that kind of a trial or adversity, anything that comes in, why is this happening to me? What's God doing in this, right? What about world events? Supreme Court decisions, right? Yeah, uh, is abortion right or wrong? That's a worldview question, right? Is it, what is morality? Is it right or wrong? Absolutely. Yep. 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 All those why questions, right? They dump right into a worldview. Absolutely. Why do mass shootings happen? You know, anytime we see one in the news, the tragic one we just saw in Uvalde, people are people have to process that through some sort of worldview, right? Uh, why can't I meet a spouse? You know, but every worldview seeks to answer common questions, right? When you, when you bring them all together, every worldview seeks to answer common questions, okay? First one is, who am I? Which is, in other words, my identity. How can people try? Now, don't skip to the biblical answer, because I know you guys are all smart, okay? Let's, let's just kind of tuck that away. How do non-Christians in a non-Christian worldview tend to answer the question, who am I? Okay, could be answered by what makes me feel good, okay? What drives me? What am I, okay? Yep, yep, that's very, see, it's very close to this, it's actually a sub-purpose is what is my purpose in life, right? Think who am I as, we'll get to that one, but think who am I as more of an identity? A mom, okay, good. What was that? Genealogy, my family, Absolutely. Yeah, and sometimes your ethnicity, right? I'm just that way because I'm Irish or I'm whatever. Gender identity. Yeah, sexuality becomes their identity, which never was meant to be that way. Yeah, yeah. Could be answered where we said ethnicity, background, family. Uh, what about a, a life-dominating problem? I'm just somebody who is chronically ill or I'm an alcoholic, Right? That's identity language. Yep. 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 What's the What's the biblical answer to who am I? Child, yeah, child of God. Yep, dearly loved child of God, created by God. Mm-hmm. Created in His image, the Imago Dei. Yeah. Second question, which is very closely related, is what is my purpose? What am I here for? Who am I and what am I here for? How would a, a non-Christian worldview, you think, answer that question? What was that? To make money. To be happy. That's, yeah, that's like a giant one, right? Just, it's just you got to do what you got to do to be happy. You got to take care of yourself, you know? You do you. Ronald. To have a purpose-driven <laughs> life. 
ripped right from the headlines of the Southern Baptist Convention right now. <laughs> Good old Rick Warren. Okay, what else? What is my purpose in life? We had some good ones. Be successful. Yeah, absolutely. These are drivers, right? They, this is what drives me. I get up every morning. This is what I do. I'm a, I'm a business owner. I'm going to make money or I'm a mom. I'm going yeah. yeah, to raise great kids. Like that's my, as long as I can leave this world great kids, then I'm happy, right? A lot of times you can find out what that is by just then I'm happy, adding that to the end, right? Like if I leave this world a better place or if I just finally do something to uh, decrease pollution or <laughs> whatever else, right? Uh, staying healthy, right? Could be lots of people, their purpose in life is, is health. It could be any cause whatsoever. People need a cause. Again, could be going off grid. It could be saving nature, saving the whales. It could be social activism. It could be your vegan life. I don't know why you'd be vegan life, but vegan life, Right? What's the biblical answer for what is my purpose in life? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever, straight out of the Westminster. Yes. Okay, so we got who am I? What is my purpose in life? Third worldview question that every system tries to answer is what went wrong? Okay, so if this is who I am and this is what I'm supposed to do, then there's something preventing me from doing that. What are things that people could say in a non-Christian worldview as far as what went wrong? How do people explain what went wrong? Blame the other person. The big V on their chest, right? The victim. Yes. Trump, right? That's what went wrong. Politics, Putin, whatever it is. But yes, that's, that's two of the biggest ones right there, right? Politics. If we just get the right person in office or we just get the right policies or we just do this or stop doing this or control that, then things will be right again. What else? How do people answer what went wrong? Bad luck. Okay. They're the Eeyore. They just got the black cloud over them all the time. Things always happen to me this way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. The universe is against me today. Yep. Yep. People will blame, kind of related to that, people will blame religion and Christianity, right? We see that right in the news right now, right? That people are blaming us for this abortion uh, verdict, right? That's what's wrong. If Christians would just go away, then we could live our lives the way we want to live our lives, right? Things like corporate greed pollution ruining the environment, all my preconditioning from my family background, right? Did you ever hear that? Well, I just can't help it because my, my father was like that. And I, I you know, I, it's in my DNA, right? I was raised that way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What's the biblical answer for what went wrong? You guys are getting an A already. Yeah. It's the fall, the fall into sin. So last but certainly not least, we had who am I, what's my purpose in life, what went wrong, and what is the solution? What's the solution? What would, what, more money. Non, non, we, we start with non-biblical, yeah. New car. New something, yeah, more stuff. 
Amazon.com is the solution. Just go shopping and have stuff show up at your front door. Yep. Anything materialism, right? Fill that hole. What other things do non-Christians say? How do we fix this? Self-help. That's a big one. I've got to work on me for a while. What? Lots of therapy. Is that what you said? <laughs> yeah, self-help, working on, your, working on yourself. Yep. What would Marxism say is the solution to everything? The state, right? Burn everything down. Revolution! Right? Take away the, the oppressive powers that are there and start it over and give it to the people and all of that stuff, right? Sounds great. Sounds familiar, right? But again, politics, right? The right person in office, a new political system, or I'm just going to pack up and move to Canada, you know, whatever. I think the singer from Green Day said that. He renounced his citizenship and he's moving to Canada. They devote to destruction. So they just kind of give up. So a fatalistic kind of attitude like, what's, what's, there's nothing left. So I'll just, yeah. Ro. Yeah. Just numb themselves. Just, just buff, just the buffered self. Yeah, definitely. Uh, how about regret? If only I hadn't blank. If only I hadn't gotten pregnant when I was 16, that would have been the solution. Or if only I hadn't whatever, right? Have that regret. Or maybe the opposite of that, covetousness. If only I had blank, that would fix everything. If I had a husband, if I had a million dollars, if I had a bigger house, if I had a better job, Yep, like Rhoda was saying, take more drugs. Yep, numb yourself, right? That's, that's the answer. What is the biblical answer? You guys all better get this right or you're all... Jesus, right? The biblical answer is Jesus, right? The biblical answer is the gospel. We could look at all of these things in kind of the big story of the Bible. Who am I? Talks about creation. What, my, what is my purpose in life? Same thing, creation. And what, am I, what, am, what am I created to do? What went wrong is sin. And how do we fix it? Redemption through Jesus Christ, and ultimately restoration when he returns again and gives us the new world, new heavens and new earth, right? Ultimately, it's about the search for truth. That's what, we're, that's what every worldview is going to try to do, is, is search for truth. And these common worldview questions, that's where they go. So when we talk about truth, I got a diagram that I kind of consolidated here. Um, we talk about two-story truth, upper-story truth and lower-story truth. In the upper story are things like uh, what's subjective, things that are based on feelings, things that are irrational, things that are personal and private, right? In the upper story, these are kind of fuzzy, emotional kind of things. And in the lower story, we have objectivity. We have cold hard facts. We have things that are rational and we have things that aren't private and personal but things that are then in the public square. And so maybe you can kind of see where this is going. What's happening when you look at truth in this two-story view, which almost all the world does that isn't in a Christian worldview, 
on top, then you regulate faith up to there, to the top. And then the bottom, that's reality. You say, well, you Christians, okay, you Christians are all about feelings and emotions and, you know, things you can't prove. You can't prove Christianity with empiricism and logical positivism and all that stuff. It's, it's just up there. That's just something you believe. That's for you. you know, so we're going to keep that up there. But in the world of cold, hard facts, where science is king, right, that's reality. And when you have this two, two-tiered view of truth, that's where they end up sticking faith. And then the two stories of this building cannot cross over, right? Don't be telling me about your Christianity. That's got to stay up there, right? And then it also works the other way. Don't be bringing facts into Christianity because it's all about fuzzy feelings and Jesus songs and things, right? How do we see this playing out today? And very much in the headlines of our own world. What are some real-world examples where this two-story version of truth is playing out? Again, what about abortion? What are people saying? Keep your beliefs to yourself, man. I don't, 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 your beliefs don't have any impact on my body. This is science. This is my body. This is my choice. Stay up in the top floor. I'm down here. Keep your beliefs up there. Right? What else? Homosexuality. Homosexuality same thing. That's your, that's your belief. That's for you. That's private. That stays up there. That has nothing to do with reality. Two people want to live their lives the way they want to live it. That's fine. That's their choice. Right? Bro. Right. Yes, yeah, so the explanation of Christianity, the Christian worldview, they say, nope, that's just, that's in the top story. That doesn't count. That's not factual, right? And, and we hear that, and we'll get into that for sure. When we talk to people about the faith, right, they say, well, if I had enough evidence, right, I would believe. <laughs> okay, right? We see it in abortion. We see it in homosexuality. We see it all over the place, this, this two-story uh, relegation of faith to the top and then facts down to the bottom science right trust the science they say until they don't trust the science right where has the true where has the church rather where have we capitulated to this two-story version of truth how have we ourselves unknowingly kept christianity in the top sue Absolutely. Separating ourselves from the culture because we think the culture is bad, so we don't engage with the culture. We don't really know what's going on out there. We just want to stay safe in our nice little Christian community, have Christian versions of everything. Parachurch organizations that take care of all of our needs, right? We listen to Christian music and drive Christian cars, and I don't know if there are such things, but yes. Yeah. 
yeah, like we ourselves kind of unknowingly, this is the air that we breathe. We kind of don't, when we talk about faith, like my, my job is my job, right? My job is the bottom, but my faith is the top. But, or maybe we even like things like well, medicine or whatever, or law or whatever, that's down there. But, you know, my faith is a, is a different thing entirely and how they don't really match or integrate, do they? Right? What were you going to say, Ro? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we, we kind of like, there's like this black curtain in science, and we're like, no, we don't want to go in there. That's, it's scary in there. We'll just stay over here in the emotional kind of feeling space thing. Yeah, but we, that's definitely how we've capitulated to that. Um, how about in our evangelism, or maybe even our understanding of our own conversion? Some of the language that we use, right? Like making Jesus my personal Lord and Savior, right? Yes and amen. We need a personal Lord and Savior, but unknowingly what comes with that is a little bit of baggage that says, that's up there. And the rest of the world is just in reality down there, and you have this bifurcated faith, right? That kind of that, that private faith. I've said it before that our, our faith is definitely personal, but it's never meant to be private. It can't be private. Yep. Yeah. Would you go to church on Sunday and that's done? And then, okay, then I'm back in the real world and I'll, I'll do my thing, right? I go up to the top story <laughs> when I read my Bible and go to church. And then otherwise during the week, I'm down there doing my thing, right? What about uh, some of the worship songs we sing, except here at Highlands Bible Church? Some of the Christian contemporary music that we sing, right? A lot of emotional language. A lot of Jesus is my boyfriend kind of songs, right? We don't really understand what they're singing about. Church being continually uh, feminized in the sense of soft and other things like that, right? Not a lot of sometimes male leadership that we see in other churches. Not here. We are blessed with that. Yes, praise God. We're the exception. You guys know that, right? Like, we're the exception. There's not a lot of men that step up to lead. And so, therefore, that tends to lead to softer, kind of, we're hanging up here a little bit more, right? Um, church being an optional Sunday experience. Like, okay. I mean, I, I'll get to church if, if it fits into my schedule. Oh, but the kids have soccer all season, so, eh. I'm going to move to a new city, and I'm not really going to choose it based upon where my church community is going to be, because that's kind of, I want to get everything else set first. I want to get my job set first and my house and everything else, and then I'll worry about going up to the upstairs and checking off the box right there, right? We talked about Christian carbon copies of everything in the world, right? And uh, that idea of kind of the sacred secular divide, like my faith is one thing and my reality, my world is another thing. Like the career worldview that, that the career, my career is for me, but then my faith is something else. Another way we can split that. But I don't know about you guys, but in Genesis 1.1, it tells us that God spoke the whole universe into being. 
He didn't speak a two-story universe into being. And so when we talk about worldviews, let's kind of narrow it down to three big worldviews that I want to talk about. And the first one is when we talk about the center of a worldview, what is, this, what is, what, what is put at the center of a worldview? First one is atheism, which means nothing's at the center. Atheos, no God, nothing at the center. There's no higher power. There's no central purpose in life. This is naturalism. This is, it's just material. It's just the here and now. Whatever we focus on, that is it. Just the material. Uh, Mr. Dawkins, in his famous book, The God Delusion, has a wonderful quote. The universe we observe has precisely the properties they should expect. If there's at the bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Mr. Dawkins and his unbelievable language as always. Another atheist, Bertrand Russell, says, we must build our lives on the firm foundation of unyielding despair. This is the atheistic worldview, that there's nothing there. So what's the point? Just, just, it's just here and now. Just live for the here and now. Just make the best life you can for here and now because there's no purpose. There's no design. There's no nothing. Yet, they know that there's something, right? In Romans 1, we just saw that this week. They know that there's something. They know it in their soul, and they keep squishing it down. Right? Ron, you're going to say something? It's funny because by affirming By affirming that life has no purpose, they are, in fact, affirming that life has purpose. In that's purposeless, it's a purpose, it's a purpose statement. Yes. 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 It is extremely inconsistent. And Mr. Clive Staples said uh, before his conversion, he was an atheist. He said at this time, he was living like so many atheists in a world of contradictions. I maintained that God did not exist, but I was also very angry with God for not existing. And I was equally angry with him for creating a world. C.S. Lewis, extremely smart man who just looked around and said, this is, I, mm, it's bothering me in my soul. I'm an atheist. I don't believe this stuff, but I look around and I know that God's there. I'm mad at him for existing and creating this world. So that's atheism, nothing at the center. Second one is selfism, which is me at the center. And I'm lumping in, in this selfism, Anything that is not the Christian or the atheistic worldview. So any self-help, any variation of any other religion, because then what? Then you are the final arbiter of what is true and what is good in your life, right? Well, I believe it's Buddha. I believe it's this. I believe it's self-help. I believe, but you're still the one that's, that's putting you in the center of that. Self-help psychology, right? Other spiritual movements where we are the ultimate determiner of right and wrong as opposed to an outside source. My current favorite theologian, Carl Truman, in his book, Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, talks about this. For me to be a self in the sense that I'm using the term here involves an understanding of what the purposes of my life is or are, of what constitutes the good life, of how I understand myself, my self in relation to others and the world around me. In other words, he's like, okay, I'm going to interpret the whole world in relation to myself. 
Thus, you're rejecting objective truth. You're rejecting outside truth. There is no outside truth to submit to. I decide what is true, right? And so when you wonder how we got to a place where people think that they're the wrong gender, that's how. Because they say, well, no, there is no outside truth. I decide what's true. Even if it's something so obvious as that, I decide. He goes on and says, today's world is not the objective, authoritative place that it was 800 years ago. We think of it much more as a case of raw material that we can manipulate by our own power to our own purposes, right? 800 years ago, you knew that there was a God because maybe you were a farmer and it just, if it rained, it rained and your crops grew. You, you didn't have any control over that. If it didn't, it didn't. You didn't have any control over that, right? Now, we're so smart in our own selves that we manipulate all our worlds to be around us. And so therefore, what do I need objective truth for? I don't have to submit to any outside authority. This is what Truman says is how we got to the place of where we are because the self became the center. And the third one and the last one is theism, where God is at the center. This is submission to an outside authoritative, objective authority that is over us. God is independent. He is eternal. He is holy. He's the definition of a million other attributes like good and fair and just and full of love and mercy and grace. We know all of those things because God is those things, are those things, right? We only have our existence from God. He created us. He gave us our identity. He tells us what's right and wrong, not us. This God is not also uh, just transcendent up there, right? He is also imminent with us. He knows all the hairs on our head, and He knows our, all our days. Christianity being then a picture of reality. Instead of looking at nothing in the center, instead of looking at ourselves in the center, we look at God in the center, Another C.S. Lewis quote says, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen. Not because I can see it, but because by it I see everything else. That idea when the sun comes up, you're like, you don't stare at the sun and be like, oh, the sun's up, right? He says, no, I, I know the sun has come up because I see everything else. It's given light to the whole world. And so this, the biblical worldview is, is God is not regulated to the upper story. He's the cause of, the meaning of, and the purpose of everything. In other words, God is the center of everything. And I think I got one slide. God is the center of everything. And we could put a million things all around that in our lives of what that might be, but this is the biblical worldview. God in the center, and then everything else gets its meaning from God and finds its fullest meaning in God. It's not just a one-way arrow. It's a, it's, a, it's a double-headed arrow. This is all over the Bible. We can see it in such verses as Romans eleven thirty six, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. And to Him be the glory forever. And so this is the biblical worldview. Everything is from God and finds its fullest meaning in God. Everything is from God and finds its fullest meaning in God. This is both truth, true truth and true knowledge. 
And so we got a lot of stuff around there that you may or may not be able to read. Career, uh, sex, money, family. Well, I got career twice. Look at that. Science, art, and music, all of that stuff from God and finds its fullest meaning in God. Why do you think the world rails against this so much? They call that extremism. How so? <laughs> it is totally the opposite. Right? Yep. Most people would probably put themselves in the center, right, in some way, shape, or form, that they're the ones controlling all of those things orbiting around themselves. That's the real big danger of a man-centered theology, right? That actually puts God in our service instead of, and, and we can, Mel's exactly right, we can whitewash that with a brand of Christianity that we hear from the pulpits of megachurches that say that God exists to help you achieve your dreams. That's toxic, and that's not a biblical worldview. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, right? That's, that's one of the reasons why the world hates it. It's about, yeah, it's about control. It's about power. I am me. I'm an American. It's about us in the middle. I'm in charge of my life, right? I'm number one. You know, it's, that's in the air that we breathe. You got to do what you got to do. Throw him a bone. Well, in that sense, right, we'd be in the center and maybe God would be one of those smaller, smaller circles orbiting around us. God is your co-pilot. Exactly that. Yeah, Jenna. So it's God and us. They're going to kind of share the middle. How's that usually work? <laughs> God, Isaiah says, I'll share my glory with no other, right? He's king of kings and lord of lords. He's the creator and redeemer, sustainer. That's right. That's your truth. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. Yeah. Frank. They have to what? If the world admits it, then they're convicted of that. Yeah. Yep. Right. Right. And that comes to why, why then I don't trust God. I don't know God as the Bible. Maybe he's not capable of running my life. I got to hold on a little bit. Maybe they just have a wrong idea of God, 
Rhoda. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's the, it's the blending of the wills, right? It's we And that's really what we're saying, right? That we're, we're, we're the, the sub-God in our little kingdom, right? That we're going to manage for the big God. And that's, that's not the biblical worldview. Yeah. Yeah. Deny himself, take up his cross. Yeah. Bonhoeffer said, Christ bids a man to come and die. That's what that is. With God in the center, you are dying to yourself. First lie in the garden. First lie in the garden. Yeah, you will be like God. You will know right and wrong. Right? What happens, instead of uh, focusing on the middle, though, what happens if we focus on all those other little circles instead of God? It's what? The circle in the middle gets smaller. Yep. The Bible has a word for that, though. What if we're, what if idols? Yeah, what if one of those things makes its way into the middle, right, of that? That becomes an idol. But yet, there's something, again, in the way that we are created that we know that this is the way it's supposed to be. And we know that in one reason, there's probably others, but in one reason is because we always, every human being has a desire to be connected to something bigger than themselves, it's just in us for some reason. We need a cause. We need something, whether it's family or whether it's, you know, winning a war or whatever else, right? We want to be connected to something bigger than ourselves. We see this all the time from job fulfillment to uh, family to Top Gun. I mean, any movie in the world is going to be like, you know, the guy's going to have to win the world, win the war, be part of something, you know, crush the enemy, all that. They want to be part of something else. But there's also one more danger in this, too, that we have to realize that God is still in his rightful place in the center. That's the biblical worldview. But that also means that he's distinctly separate from everything else, right? And there's a lot of stuff where that can get, the lines get blurred of where God is and who God is. And there's two versions of that. One is, pantheism. Anybody know what pantheism means? God is everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. So that that circle just goes whoop and then it swallows everything else. So God is nature or God is, yep, yep. That's not what the Bible says, right? And the other one is panentheism, which is actually gaining a lot of popularity. Panentheism, which God is everything, but God is still evolving in his godness. It's process theology, right? So according to what's going on in the environment, then God adapts and grows. And so we see that here. We see that in, in the Christianizing of homosexuality or gender issues or, you know, God is, well, this is the way that it is now, so God's okay with this now. No, if God's completely separate and other and holy, then we have to submit to him as such.
right? So just wanted to throw those in there because sometimes you, you, you see that, uh, that those will sneak in. Yeah, Ron. Yeah, Ecclesiastes three, Ecclesiastes three eleven, making everything beautiful in his time. He's put eternity into man's heart. I love the last part of that verse. Well, I hate and love the last part of that verse. Yet, so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. There's still always, if God's in the middle, there are things we are not going to know about God because he's separate from us, and we're not God. There are his some of his attributes that we will never share. We will never share his infinite knowledge and his uh, omnipotence and his power and all of that. We can't. We're human beings. And again, we hate that. We rail against that. We're like, no, I need all of those things. Yeah, Ron's exactly right because it is in our heart. We do long for something greater because it has been put in there. It's been put in there by our creator. It's worth noting, too, that this points to the holistic view of of the Bible, of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Ron just read from the Old Testament, and we were picking up some things from the New Testament too. The Bible says one story, right? And God's the center of that story. And that's why when we have a a man-centered testimony or a self-centered testimony, right? When it starts with, you ask somebody their testimony, and it says, well, I used to, okay, hold on. That's not, you know, how did God save you? It starts with God. It doesn't start with us. And so the Bible tells one story, so with God in the center, you need to remember that holistic view of the Old and New Testaments as well. Other thoughts, comments, questions, encouraging remarks? What's my last blank? Separate. God is separate from everything. You know you have to fill in all the blanks. Oh, good. Hi, Kren. <laughs> We're praying for you. Any other thoughts that are kicking around in anyone's heads? Yeah, Sue. Yeah. more of kind of that process theology maybe where you can interpret scripture if it's not if god's not in the center and then therefore it's not god's actual word right then it's up for negotiation yeah definitely are you just stretching or did you jenna Usually how that happens, they poorly misrepresent someone on TV, yeah.
no. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and culture, going back to that two-story view, culture wants to keep us up there. And we, we can't let them because our God is not contained to the top. He's over all he has made. He's the one who made reason and logic and all of those things as well. So, well, we wanted to set this foundation so that um, when we continue on, and look at some of these questions or problems. Uh, next week, we are going to look at the problem of truth. How do we know what is truth? What is truth itself? Different versions of truth, all of that. Uh, your truth is your own truth, etc., etc. And so, what is truth? <laughs> Who needs truth? <laughs> well, we're going to look at each one of those uh, questions through that lens of the theistic worldview with God at the center. So, Thank you, guys. Let me pray for us, and then I'll return you to your Wednesday nights already in progress. But let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can just take time out and uh, look at some of these things, and thank you for uh, people coming together to sharpen themselves and to grow in uh, the nature of how to defend the faith and think about these things. And Lord, I just pray that you will help us to expand our, our thoughts on this, not in anything contrary to Scripture, of course, but only uh, within the bounds of what you have given us, and there's so much more to explore in that. So help us, Lord, to think rightly about these things and to be able to speak, as Peter tells us, uh, without fear and to boldly give an answer, a defense for the reason, for the hope that we have in us. Do this for your glory as we seek to make and mature disciples. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.